Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here. I am so excited to be here on this Senior Sunday, a day for us to honor our graduating seniors as they prepare to leave the nest for the first time. I remember I was so excited when I graduated high school. I was ready to be on my own and I was ready for adventure and for freedom and to not have a curfew. But I was also incredibly nervous because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, none whatsoever. I had zero future plans. And all of my friends seemed to have their lives figured out. They knew what they wanted to study, they knew what careers they wanted to pursue, and I had no idea. And I remember sitting down and talking with my dad and asking him, when did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? And he said, well, I knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was 12 years old. What, 12? Who knows what they want their lifelong profession to be at 12 years old? So I started freaking out, I started panicking. Uh, And I I was like, man, I gotta get my life in order, I gotta figure out what I wanna do with my life, I need to start planning. And so I uh, started weighing all my options and I started looking at, you know, which major should I pursue that would give me the best chance of success in life? And so I entered the University of Houston, pursuing the noble career of theater. (laughs) I wanted to be an actor. And my plan was to finish college at U of H and then to go on to a prestigious film school in in New York or LA and then go on to have a very successful career making movies. However, after my sophomore year of college, I became a Christian. And then I decided to transfer schools. I went to HBU and I studied biblical languages and Christian theology. Uh, But if I am really honest with myself, me becoming a Christian was not the only reason that I quit acting to pursue a different path in life. It was a big reason for sure, but it was not the only reason. See, deep down, I was terrified that I would never make it as an actor. I would constantly compare myself to all the other people in the theater department. Am I as good as them? Am I as good looking as them? Is there anything unique about me that causes me to stand out from the crowd? Or am I gonna graduate, move to LA, and then become a starving actor who lives with six other starving actors, going to auditions by day and waiting tables by night until I eventually quit and shame at the age of 35? That's what I was worried was gonna happen. And this fear of failure became so prominent that I ended up convincing myself that I was the worst actor in the entire theater department. I would look at everyone else and think, man, they're just so much better than I am. They're better looking than I am. Man, look at their stage presence. They know how to command a stage. I'm practically invisible up here. What am I doing? And then I started comparing myself to all the people uh, in movies and on TV shows who had made it. And I was really getting into Saturday Night Live at the time, and I was watching a lot of the earlier episodes of SNL, and I was watching some of the episodes from the early 80s and uh, with Eddie Murphy in them, and I noticed uh, that Eddie, Eddie Murphy looks so young, and so I googled it, and it turns out that Eddie Murphy was 19 years old when he started his career at SNL. 19. And I remember thinking, I'm 19. What am I doing? If truly talented actors like Eddie Murphy already have their career started at 19, and I'm still here at U of H, and I'm not even any as good as any of the people here, what am I doing with my life? And that was the reality that I created for myself. In actual reality, I don't think I was the worst actor in the theater department. Uh, I wasn't the best, there were really some talented actors there, but I certainly 
wasn't the worst. There were some people who should not have been there. <laughs> and in actual reality, uh, most actors don't get their big breaks at 19 years old. Harrison Ford was building cabinets for George Lucas before he was cast as Han Solo at the age of 33. But in my reality that I created for myself, I just wasn't as good as any of my peers, and I was already behind in getting my career started, and so I let fear make decisions for me. And I was terrified of failing. And I think that's the case for a lot of us. I think a lot of us do everything that we can to avoid failure. Why? Well, I think it's because in our culture, with failure comes shame. See, if I were to be vulnerable enough to actually try to go out and to try to make it as an actor and it didn't work out, then all of my fears that were hidden inside me would come to light for the world to see. The world would know that I was not good enough to become an actor. The world would know that there are so many other people out there who are better than me and I would be exposed as the normal average person that I was, and I would be shamed for not being good enough. And I know I'm not alone in feeling this way. All of us here have things that we wish we could achieve, that we want to achieve. We all have dreams that we want to make a reality, and we live in a world that is constantly comparing, constantly sizing up the competition, and we live in a culture that idolizes excellence. We crave success. We want to win. We want to be great. And we want to show off our excellence. We want to show off our success with our nice houses and our fancy cars and our important job titles and our honorable kids. And we all do this on some level, even in ridiculous ways. I just found out that my three-month-old daughter, Juliette, she is in the 86th percentile for head size. And I'm so proud. (laughs) I don't know why, but I'm so proud of my big-headed angel. She uh, (laughs) takes after her dad in that way. But we live in this culture that idolizes excellence, and we are terrified of failure and of the shame that failure brings. The leading sociologist on shame, Dr. Brene Brown, she says that shame is an epidemic in our culture. An epidemic. She has been exclusively studying shame and vulnerability for the past decade or so, and she has interviewed tens of thousands of people. And with every person, she always asks the same question. She asks, what do you hear or see in the phrase, never blank enough? And then she has them fill in the blank. Here are the top eight answers. Never good enough. Never perfect enough. Never thin enough. Never powerful enough never smart enough, never certain enough, never safe enough, and never extraordinary enough. And I think I have felt every single one of those at some point or another in my life, especially with social media, which just seems to amplify all of those feelings. I love social media, don't get me wrong. I'm on Twitter all the time, and I love going on Instagram and seeing what everybody's up to, but man, if I'm not careful, Social media can turn into the number one way for me to just feel terrible about myself. Right? Like, does everyone on Instagram have a six-pack? And why isn't anybody retweeting my hilarious joke? Wait, and when did all my friends get together and have this awesome adventure, and why wasn't I invited? And why does my picture only have 31 likes? I have 300 friends, and only 31 of them like this picture. Do they just not care about me? And why does that person have 1,000 friends? I only have 300. How do they have 1,000? Do people just not like me? And on and on and on we spiral until eventually I'm just drowning in shame. It's no wonder that shame is so highly correlated with things like uh, addiction, 
depression, violence, bullying, eating disorders, and suicide. And so I want to do two things today. First, I want to try and expose this idol of excellence for what it is. And then second, I want to try and show us a way out of this culture of excellence and this society of shame that we live in. So first, I want to point us to King Solomon. I want to look at his conclusions on excellence and success in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have your Bible, we will be in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 9 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and Usher will come down the aisle and bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that Bible. We love you, and that is our gift to you. Uh, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It is right after the Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, if you hit Song of Solomon, if you hit Isaiah, you've gone too far. And so while everyone's getting their Bibles out and flipping, let me give you a bit of backstory on Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David, and Solomon himself eventually became king, and he was one of the most powerful rulers in the history of mankind at the peak of Israel's power. He achieved a level of excellence and success that you and I can only dream of. He used to throw the biggest and the best parties the world had ever seen. They would last for weeks and tens and thousands of people would show up. He had the biggest, most expensive houses on the planet Earth. Houses, plural, a lot of them, like entire suburbs worth. He planted a forest so large that there are still craters left over to this day. They're called the Craters of Solomon. He had more wives and concubines than there are days in a year. He was the richest, most famous, most powerful person on the planet. He was the best at everything. He was the most excellent at everything. And when he took a step back and he looked at all that he had achieved, this was his conclusion. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 9 through 11. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." So he took a step back and he looked at all the excellence he achieved, all the success that he had, and he came to, came to the conclusion that it's all meaningless. None of it matters. It's all striving after the wind. It's vanity. It's fleeting, right? You can be the best at the best at, at everything, and in a thousand years, no one's going to care. You're going to be dust in the ground. All those achievements and accolades that you work so hard for, that you sacrifice so much for, it's all going to be dust in the ground. None of it matters, and yet we live like it's the only thing that matters. We chase this idol of excellence and we sacrifice so much for this idol. We sacrifice our time, we sacrifice our energy, we sacrifice our dreams, our mental and physical health. We sacrifice our relationships with our spouse and with our children, with our family and our friends. Worst of all, we sacrifice our relationship with Jesus. And then when we fail, not if, but when, because we're human beings, we're going to fail, we cope with the shame of failing by numbing ourselves, by becoming addicted, self-medicated, revolving in and out of relationships, falling into depression. And for what? Because we failed? Because we're human beings and not gods? Because the world might see us as normal, as average, not good enough? Because we didn't make a name for ourselves? Let me ask you this question. What is the difference between Thomas Hamblin and Leonardo Van Halen? 
Thomas Hamblin was one of the greatest stage actors of the 1800s. And Leonardo Van Halen is an awesome name I just made up. <laughs> Thomas Hamblin was the best of the best. And today, no one knows who he is. I had to Google him. I had to look it up. Right? And I would bet that in a few hundred years, if you were to stop a random person on the street and ask them, hey, what's the difference between Harrison Ford and Adam McIntyre? Very few people would know or care. You stop someone now and ask them, they'd be like, Harrison Ford, that's, that's Indiana Jones. That's Han Solo. Everyone knows who Harrison Ford is. I have no idea who Adam McIntyre is. But in a few hundred years, no one's going to go, no, no one's going to care. None of it matters. And yet we live like it's the only thing that matters. Now, don't get me wrong. Excellence in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not wrong to want to strive for excellence in every area of your life. I strive for excellence in my marriage, in parenting, in my ministry, in my relationships with my family and friends. However, there is a very fine line between striving for excellence and idolizing excellence. And in our culture, that line is so easily blurred. And if we're not careful, we're going to find that our identity is wrapped up in our achievements and our accolades and our GPA and our net worth. And that the moment we taste failure, our whole world is going to come crumbling down around us. That's how you know if excellence has become an idol in your life. If your worth is found in how successful you are. If your identity is wrapped up in all the things that you've achieved. So how do we reject this idol of excellence? And how do we step out of the society of shame that we live in? Well, I think we need to turn to Jesus. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in Luke 7, 36 through 50. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Here we go. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender, lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here we find this woman 
who is a sinner. She's most likely a prostitute. And she is well aware that she is not the best at anything. She is well aware that she will never achieve anyone's standard of excellence. She is the lowest of the low. And in complete humility, she comes before Jesus as a failure, shamed by the world, broken, vulnerable, weeping. And Jesus, in his perfect love, looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. See, he didn't care about her sins. He didn't care about her social status. He didn't care that she was the lowest of the low. Jesus just wanted her and he forgave her sins, which were many. And he saved her life, which anyone else would have deemed not worth saving, all because she came to him completely humble, knowing that he was her only hope and her faith saved her. And the irony is that we read this story and we are completely unaware that we are playing the part of Simon the Pharisee. We want to have our act together. We want to be the ones that invites Jesus over for dinner. We want to bring him over to, to our nice house and our nice neighborhood to eat our nice food on our nice dishes with our nice friends. We don't want to be the ones broken and weeping. We don't want to have to come before him honest and vulnerable and humble. But it's exactly what Jesus wants from us. When we're constantly striving after excellence to be the best, to make a name for ourselves, what room does that leave for Jesus? Very little. It leaves us looking like Simon the Pharisee, who, yeah, he invited Jesus over for dinner, but he did not humble himself to give Jesus water for his feet or to welcome him in with a kiss or to anoint his head with oil. Why? Well, because that's the job of a servant. And it's very difficult to serve someone when you're too busy putting on appearances and trying to be better than everyone else. And Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus doesn't care if you're the best at something. He doesn't care how successful you are. He doesn't care how sinful you are. He just wants you, not some excellent, successful version of you. Jesus wants the raw, honest, humble, vulnerable you, the version of you that you are too afraid to show the rest of the world. And he wants to heal and to save and to redeem and to forgive that broken, vulnerable, messy you. But in order for that to happen, you have to be willing to come before him humble and vulnerable, knowing that even the very best version of yourself with all the achievements that you can muster is nothing but dust in the wind. And that's a difficult thing to do because this idol of excellence, it's calling to us all of the time. It has infiltrated nearly every area of our lives and it's really hard to get rid of. For me, I have to constantly battle my desire to become Ben Stewart 2.0. The guy's just so cool, right? I mean, everybody loves him, and he tells the funniest stories, and he just preaches with such power and authority, and tens of thousands of people listen to him every week, and they all adore him, and I would be lying to you if I said that I didn't want that. He has achieved a level of excellence and success that I covet. And if I let that idolatry of excellence go unchecked in my soul, it begins to affect me in profound ways. Most noticeably coming out in my sermon writing, there have been many times where I've caught myself trying to write a sermon like Ben and trying to preach a sermon like Ben. Not because I'm trying to learn from him, but because I want the success and the recognition that he has. And that is dangerous because A, I'm not Ben Stewart. B, 
I can't think of anything more dangerous than trying to preach the word of God for my own glory. So, because I know that this idol of excellence lives within me, I have to make the constant decision to repent of that idol and to throw myself at the feet of Jesus. And I've got to be brutally honest before him. I have to confess all my fears, my anxiety. I have to confess this craving that I have for success and for attention. I have to submit all of those things to him. And when I do that, I'm reminded of truth. I'm reminded of the reality that if I am constantly uh, trying to seek worth from the flimsy judgment of others, or if I'm constantly trying to seek uh, approval from other people, I'm never going to be satisfied, ever. There is always more that I can do to become more successful. But there is nothing that I can do to make God love me more. I am already loved perfectly, and so are you. And when I realize that truth, that fear of failure and that shame is washed away and it's replaced with the confidence and the hope that comes from knowing that I belong to Jesus Christ. That's called freedom. Not being controlled by fear. Not making decisions based on other people's ideals of excellence and success. It's freedom. So each one of us has a choice every single day. Are we going to surrender ourselves to Jesus? Are we going to live in his freedom? Are we going to seek the presence of God today? Or are we going to seek outward measures of success and worth? Am I going to look at all of the things that I haven't achieved yet? Or am I going to rest in all that God has given me? Seniors, you are going, whether you're going to college or whether you're going into the workforce, whatever it is that you're doing next, the world is about to open up to you in new and exciting ways, and you're going to be faced with so many new challenges and experiences and choices. Don't make choices out of fear. Don't be afraid of failure. Don't let other people shame you. Don't let other people's ideals of success and excellence control who you are. Submit yourself to Jesus. Live in his freedom. And that goes for all of us. All of us here, we need to repent of this idol of excellence. We need to step out of the society of shame that we live in. And so I want to invite all of us today to come before the throne of our King Jesus. And we need to be honest before him. We need to be vulnerable before him. Don't be afraid to confess your failure. Don't be afraid to confess your fears. Don't be afraid to confess your sin and your brokenness and then trust that your vulnerability and your humility will be met with his forgiveness and his grace and his perfect love for you. Submit yourselves to Jesus and live in his freedom. Let's pray. Father, I just invite your Holy Spirit into this room right now. Um, to just come into our hearts and remind us of the truth that we were not created to live in fear. We were not created 
to be shackled to other people's judgments and opinions and ideals of success and excellence. Father, but you created us to live in freedom, to live in your freedom. So Father, remind us today of your perfect love for us. Father, thank you for what you've done on the cross. That you conquered our sin, you conquered evil, you conquered death itself so that we can experience freedom, true freedom. Father, I pray that today we rest in that freedom, that we confess our fears, our failures, our sins, and that we rest in the truth that you love us perfectly. Thank you for that love. It's your name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Young Adults Pastor Adam McIntyre, who just brought our message on Senior Sunday. And you talked about the idolatry of excellence. Yes. Welcome, Adam. What Thank a you. great message. Not, real, not just for seniors, although uh, as you move into your life, what a great message to kind of start the next chapter, but for all of us to examine it's all in our nature, I believe, to want to chase these things, these worldly things, and to be successful. And um, I think you did a really good job of calling us back to what is true um, and what we see in the scripture from Jesus and what he really wants from us. Thank you. Um, I do have a couple questions. Sure. The first one is uh, you were talking about that to uh, want to be excellent or to do your best, whether it's in your marriage or your job, um, or in your family is not in itself bad. Right. We should want to do things right and to give our best and our best effort. But there's a fine line that we can cross over where that becomes uh, an idol in our yeah. life. Uh, tell me some warning signs or things that I can look for in my life to see whether or not I'm crossing over that line. Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, okay. And this is a a story that's happened multiple times. Uh, whenever I was in youth ministry, um, when I was a junior high and, and then the high school pastor, there'd be multiple times where I would talk to students who would just be, uh, you could tell they were um, kind of freaking out a little bit uh, and that they were in panic mode and I would go and talk to them and, and try to figure out what was going on. And almost always it was about some kind of test that they had mm -hmm. to take uh, or some kind of project that they just had mm -hmm. to get a certain grade on. Um, especially when you get in high school and you're getting closer and closer to college and you're trying to get in whatever college that you want to go to. And, uh, and a few different times I would hear a student say, if I don't get a A oh. on this mm -hmm. test, then my life's over. And I would stop and think, your life's over? What is, like, I don't think that you mean that. But they would literally, they, their entire identity, their reason for existing would wrapped up in their grade. And they would felt like if they didn't get this certain grade, if they didn't achieve this certain level of excellence, then their life was over. What's the point? Mm. Um, and then on a certain level, I think adults um, do that as well. Uh, you know, if, if I don't um, get this promotion or mm -hmm. if I don't make this amount of money or if I don't... Um, you know, achieve whatever level of success that we have in our head, uh, we start to feel like a failure as a person. And we feel 
um, like we're just no good, mm -hmm. and that, and like, who would like a failure like me? And uh, and, and that's how you know whenever you start your entire identity, like mm -hmm. you find your. When it your starts to begin to affect, affect you. Right. Like yeah. Stress. Exactly. Or anxiety. And, yeah. Exactly. And so mm -hmm. yeah, when you find that, um, you start just becoming really anxious about whatever it is, uh, you know, your next performance review at work or, mm -hmm. um, or uh, you know, your paycheck, money you're bringing in, whatever it is, um, to the point where it's kind of sending you spiraling and and you start trying to numb that anxiety um, uh, in whatever way that you choose, um, that's when you know it's, it's starting to become an idol. Um, when in reality, we need to constantly just submit ourselves to Jesus and remind ourselves that, you know what? Uh, if I fail, mm -hmm. that's not the end of the world. It's okay. We're still loved. We're still loved, that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, the worst thing that could possibly happen um, is not that bad in light of the fact that we are loved, mm -hmm. that we are saved, that um, uh, in the scope of eternity, we're going to be with Jesus. And so that's where we need to find our identity is in Him. We need to find our worth in Him, knowing that we're loved and not in... All these temporary. Exactly. Temporary things. They're very temporary. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, a question that came in was around the pressure to be a perfect parent. Mm. Um, it feels like a child's development, their future, their character is all dependent on this intentional parenting and Christ-like love, and we often fail as parents. I know mm -hmm. I do. Um, and applying what you said today to parenting can be a struggle. What, what would you say about that? Yeah. Uh, so I've been a parent for all of three months, mm -hmm. and I can already feel that. Uh, there's, I'm constantly looking things up on Google of, you know, if I let my child do this for too long, is that going to affect them whenever they're teenagers, you know, whatever it is. And, and I worry about it. Mm -hmm. I get anxiety over it, fearing that what I'm doing now is going to mess up my daughter for the rest of her life. And I would imagine that that feeling can only grow if we let it go unchecked. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think the first thing we need to realize is that, um, it's not all up to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, the future of your child, um, and how successful or, or whatever your child is going to be in the future is not entirely up to you. I've known um, parents who are great, the most loving, caring parents who are very attentive um, to their child. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, their child rebelled and, um, and they just had a hard time raising their kid. And I've known the opposite as mm -hmm. well of, uh, of people who have grown up to be fantastic like human beings, adults, who, yeah, their parents are gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you need to take a bit of pressure off yourself, knowing that it's not completely up to you. Uh, and then I would say, um, as well, it's another one of those things that you're, it's going to be a constant thing you have to submit to Jesus. Kind of like when I mentioned in my sermon, my desire to become Ben Stewart, mm -hmm. it's not a one time I repent of that idol and then move on with my life. It's mm -hmm. every single day I have to come before Jesus and say, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, and I idolize it, and I covet it, and I want this level of success and excellence, take it away from me. Hmm. Um, and I think with parenting, um, you have to kind of do the same thing of go before Jesus and, and say, I'm terrified. Uh, I want this and this and this for my child, and if it doesn't happen, I'm afraid I'm a failure as a parent. Take away that feeling from me so I can love and raise my kid, not out of fear, uh, and not being controlled by other people's ideas of excellence, but I can raise my child in you mm -hmm. and who Jesus is. And I think that's something we have to do. Yeah, I think um, 
in both things that you've been talking about, I just keep thinking about how important the, my community is yes, to me absolutely. and um, other parents and being yeah. able to see like none of us, we're all broken sinners raising children That's and right. none of us will get it all right. right. But our God is big and he redeems things and we yeah. can trust him with our children. And it's always just uh, so encouraging when I'm able to like share and talk with other people about what yeah. I'm struggling with in my parenting and have them speak into it. And that's likewise, right. be able to do that for them. Right. Um, and so I know that's a, like an important part of parenting, I think, is to not do it alone and fall that's into right. this pressure that you put on yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. Of, yeah. yeah, you need to have other people who can speak wisdom into you, who can encourage you um, and who can help you whenever you're mm -hmm. feeling like, oh, I can't do it, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, because you, I mean, it is, it takes a village, right? It That's does. What yeah. It does. Well, what a great message today, Adam. Thank, Thank you. you for that. And um, I know our graduating seniors, seniors were much blessed by it as we all were. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.